What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Adam Valley coming at you with our penultimate NBA look ahead for the 22-23 season. We are on to the Memphis Grizzlies. I am joined by the one, the only, the legendary Keith Parrish. He is a co- he is the host of the Fast Break Breakfast podcast. Follow him and the podcast at Fast Break Break. That's at F A S T B R E A K B R E A K. Uh, he is also the host of the Grind, Grits and Grinds podcast. Excuse me. Follow them on Twitter at Grizzlies Pod, spelled exactly as it sounds. Love talking to Keith about the Grizzlies. I have many questions, but the first and most important question I will ask, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for the energy you're bringing to this. It has lifted me much like the wildness factor that Dylan Brooks brings to my Grizzlies. I feel like you're elevating me just by your presence. I feel like I should take that as an insult, though. So I'm going to drop the ball at some point. That was meant really totally as a compliment. I uh, sincerely defend Dylan Brooks. And there's a certain, I don't know, there's a certain just intangible energy that courses through him that powers the Grizzlies and that's the energy you're giving me so full compliment please accept it as such I will as such and you're just you're always so good with drawing parallels and comparisons like the the playoff one of Jaron Jackson Jr. you compare him to your son in the Lego store still one of oh, my favorite was the, I forgot about that yeah um the one the, of my all-time every, favorite <laughs> moments on this pod I cut it the, up I don't you gotta prep Jaron every game but like, hey man don't get some dumb fouls I got it I got it it's the same as my kid being like hey we're going to the Lego store don't touch anything I got it I got it and then once the ball drops once we walk in that Lego store it's limbs knocking over everything yeah it's just one of the all, one of the all-time great comps by the way I clipped that thing all over we don't I don't use IG or TikTok ever but I threw it on there just because I thought it was so so great um I'll start here with the Grizzlies, were you at all surprised against in support of them? I've called it a developmental flex for them over the offseason because you let, you know, you trade Melton, you let Kyle Anderson walk. You're looking at these guys like David Roddy and Jake LaRavia, and you're expecting Zaire Williams to maybe have a bigger role. And we've heard a lot about Santi Aldama now. Um, do you, were you surprised that they weren't like a little bit more aggressive in trying to upgrade with entrenched talent? What was the second best team in the league during last year's regular season? In one sense, yes, I was surprised that this offseason did not represent an obvious step forward as far as the talent on the roster. Um, Once some things happened, like once Melton was traded on draft night for the draft rights to David Roddy, at that point, I wasn't surprised because it was like, oh, they're doing this thing again, Uh, where where they they, they lean on development. And... um, I, you said flex and it does feel a little little bit like an off season flex. It feels like a front office flex where they're like, we keep hitting doubles, triples and homers with our front office moves that we're just going to say, you know what? We think we can, we can sustain our title window. We can extend possibly our title window by not bringing in established veteran talent. We're just going to keep building internally because we know we have a superstar in John Morant. We know we have a possible, Maybe all star in Desmond Bain. We have the a teams of player of the year candidate in Jaron Jackson Jr. That's good enough. We we have enough pieces. Let's just try to hit another another double. And when I see now, I see Santi Aldama in preseason and in summer league, where I'm like, oh, maybe we should just give this front office all the latitude to flex all they need. Because like last year, Aldama looked bad and you're like what are Mm. they doing 
And now you're like, that guy looks pretty good. Uh, maybe they know what they're they know what they're doing here. So in in the general sense, yes, I was surprised to to go from last year where uh, Danny LaRue uh, wrote like a, an article before the season was over, like the Grizzlies could be the sleeping giant of the 2022 offseason because if they wanted to, they could have had cap space. Mm -hmm. And they also had all these draft picks. They had the draft pick um, that they ended up losing that was supposed to come from the Lakers. That went to the Pelicans. But they had multiple extra draft picks in this coming draft. And they had all their core under salary. And then they had the potential of getting to cap space. And they turned all of that into losing Melton, losing Kyle Anderson, and adding just rookies. So you're like, that, in, in the broad sense, that was surprising, that they didn't go a little more aggressively. They didn't add proven talent. But then once, I think, I think once, like, those dominoes started falling, I was like, oh, this is just what they do. And no, they're not going to trade for Jay Crowder, or they're not <laughs> going to try to sign Gary Harris, because they don't care. Like, they're, right. they're like, it's going to be better for us if we make David Wrighty good. And so that that's going to be the path that they're going to choose. I normally would be against the team being so conservative after having such a good year and just being so good immediately. But you sort of alluded to it. Whatever was out there was either not spectacular or just not for them. If you look at the even think about the biggest names that were traded, none of those three guys made any sense for the Grizzlies and Mitchell Gobert or Murray. And then it was the free agent market. I've had this conversation ad nauseum on this podcast. Free agency is not the same anymore. Maybe it changes in the new collective bargaining agreement and with the cap going up, like stars aren't moving in free agency. Uh, we don't know how big of a destination Memphis would have been to begin with. And so you were looking at players like you sort of talked about, like, oh, could you sign Gary Harris? Can you trade for Jay Crowder? And it's, you know, there's a case to be made if you wanted to go after those mid-end veterans, fine, do it. But like the what they punted on, I guess, wasn't all that inspiring, even if I would have just kept Kyle Anderson because that just seems like, a good move to have done. So that was like, the, that was almost a flex where it was like, Oh, David Roddy or um, Santi, like those guys are just going to be ready immediately. Like we don't need Kyle Anderson. Like he can go over to minute, like Minnesota, by the way, a conference rival who's trying to be good that he could just leave. <laughs> well, so there, there is, there is part of it where I like, I'm not on board with it. There is part of it where I'm like, well, I don't understand why we lost Melton. Cause he's very young. He was on a good contract. <laughs> He's not an expiring free agent. That part is still confusing to me. The, the, the letting Kyle Anderson go to a Western Conference rival is, is another interesting piece. And then added into that is, oh, and by the way, not only is the front office saying, hey, we're not going to make a big move. We're only bringing in rookies. But hey, guess what? Jaron got hurt in the offseason. Yeah. Uh, like Jaron secretly got hurt. He's going to miss the start of the season. We don't need the guy who filled in for him every time he, he missed a game the last two seasons. Like Kyle Anderson played tons of minutes for the Grizzlies, uh, you know, while he was here. And like, so letting him go to a Western Conference rival, a team projected to win a similar number of games in the Timberwolves, letting Melton go to a team that is now picked based on Vegas overrunners to win more games in the East. Like everyone's picking the Sixers to be good. And normally in the first sentence of everyone picking the, the Sixers to be good is, oh, they got PJ Tucker and DeAnthony Melton. And so for a team in its title window, which I think the Grizzlies are, I mean, the Grizzlies, they, I, I, I repeated, I repeated a lot. Well, I repeated a lot because these things are lost to history and no one pays attention to them once the series are over. The Grizzlies had a lead in the fourth quarter of three of the four losses to the Warriors. Not to mention the fact that Jaw was hurt, didn't play the final three games, that Dylan Brooks was suspended for two games, Steven Adams had, had was in healthy safety protocols, Desmond Bain had a hurt back. Look at his shooting percentages. We're looking at his, his field goal attempts in that series. Yeah. And despite that, they had the lead in the final two minutes of two of the losses. And it's like, they were close. So I think their title window is open. 
So in that sense, it is strange to say, to maybe not make a go-for-it move, not to say they won't make a go-for-it move during the regular season to see how the season plays out and like, oh, these teams are all tanking or this player wants out. Now we're going to trade our pieces um, to get something in here. But in the sense that you're one of maybe the the eight teams that has a 2% or better chance at winning mm-hmm. the title, to not maybe push your chips in, it, it feels a little bit strange, and I'm, I'm not sure. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't set well with me uh, particularly. I will also say the Kyle Anderson one doesn't sit well with me because he was part of one of my favorite moments last year where it was the video of, I can't remember who was who did it to who, but it was him and Zaire Williams and someone did the tickle monster to the other person on camera after they hit a big <laughs> shot. It might've been Kyle Anderson was probably doing the tickle monster to Zaire Williams. And it was just yeah. like, this is yeah. just the 2021, 2022 Grizzlies in a nutshell. And I love it. And so yeah, um, RIP to the Kyle, uh, Kyle Anderson era. I loved Memphis. him, man. Yeah. I, yeah, I lost two. I lost my two favorite players. I'm still in the market for my current favorite Grizzly. So we'll see. I don't have any adjectives to describe John Moran anymore. I'm just out of them. Uh, he was on the fringes of the MVP discussion already. That He is a superstar. You already mentioned it. What does the next frontier for him looks like? Is there even a next frontier? Like, is the focus still, well, if he could just knock down threes at a slightly higher clip, or is there there's something else that you're watching? Because he doesn't, I don't want to say he's a player's ever finished, but he's just, he's so good that, He's the type of he's so good. It's hard to come up with questions for John Moran. That's how good he is. Like you have to talk about the superstar on the podcast because that matters. But I just I have no questions, no notes on John Moran. Well, you say what's next? I mean, he's he's young. Like NBA players don't they're not fully done. And by, by year three and last year, year three, I think he would have finished fifth in the MVP vote if he didn't get hurt in the final few weeks of the season. Um, he's still, I think, you know, he was second team All NBA last year. I think what's next for him is I. I I think the scoring's going to keep going up. I, I think he's going to like, he was 39 points per hundred per 100 possessions last year. And like, I think he can repeat that and maybe play some more minutes. I think he has room to grow on, on making free throws. Like if he could get up to become an 80% free throw shooter, that that would be great. Um, you know, the three point shooting. Yeah. It's a, it's a clearly a, a avenue for improvement. I, I don't know. I think like he shot 34% last year. I hope he maintains that, but his mid-range shooting was pretty bad last year. It actually took a little bit of a yeah. dip. I think he was trying to add it in, you know, to have more and more of that. But I don't see any reason why that wouldn't continue to get better as he ages in the NBA. Most NBA guys, like, they 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 add those things to their game. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's going to have a huge year. And also, clearly, defense. Like, just attention to detail on defense. He's probably never going to be a plus defender, but he can do more on the defensive end. So, I do think, and maybe that's the reason why, the team just kind of, you know, sit still for lack of a better term in the off season. They know like John's going to carry us. Our job is to build a cast that perfectly fits John Morant. And as much as you and I love Kyle Anderson, he doesn't perfectly fit with John Morant. He can right. fill in, he can help you in a pinch, but I think they might, they're looking at, you know what, let's build the, the prototypical player. Maybe Jake LaRavia is a better type of guy because of the beautiful three-point stroke. And once he gets comfortable with the NBA line, gets comfortable with his NBA minutes, and that might be a year or two, but eventually that's going to be a better supporting piece that ideally fits the prototype that, that goes around our MVP candidate of a point guard. The mid-range shooting was a really good point, not something I gave a ton of consideration to. He shot, when I was looking in preparation for this podcast, over 40% on pull-up threes after the All-Star break. And at that, I wouldn't expect that to be the normal, but if his number on pull-up threes is around like 35 36% instead of, I think it was at like 32, 3.8 or 32.8 for the year, that's just like an entire game-changer for the Grizzlies, too. He's just so... And he is still... 
I think I forgot. I like the playoffs are over and then too many months passed. And I ranked the Grizzlies like fifth on my league pass rankings. And then Jaws in the preseason treating it like the regular season. I'm like, how to not have these guys number one. He's just unto himself. He's just like this highlight factor. And he's so just, he's entertaining to watch even when he's not taking shots because of just any decision he makes when he leaves his feet, whether it's like a pass or just when he gets going downhill, just so polarizing in the best possible way to watch on the offensive end. Well, also what's wild about his three point shooting is that, um, yeah, like he got really hot at the end of the year. The Grizzlies made a ton of threes down the stretch last year. A lot of it was playing teams that were kind of falling apart, but in the playoffs, and in the play-in games, he's made three-pointers. Like, mm. he averages, in his career, he averages two three-pointers made per game in those postseason games. And, like, he hits them in an okay percentage, and it's like, you know, he, he steps it up. And so if he can, whatever that playoff juice that, that really gets him going, where he cranks a scoring up to, you know, like, usually over 30 points per game in the playoffs. And if he can add that and then show some of that shooting that, that he's demonstrated in the postseason in the games that actually matter, like that is the next level. I think that you can see for John Morant in the regular season. The next level for Jaron Jackson jr. Is starting five on five in a few weeks. I was reading is like, what's a realistic timeline for his return at this point? Well, I, I think the initial, the initial announcement was four to six months. And if he starts playing two weeks from, if he starts doing five and five, two weeks from today, maybe he makes his debut, you know, three to four weeks from today. That's on the, that's on the timeline. That's like basically four months from when they announced. So I don't think there's any reason to think it's going to stretch out to that six month uh, thing, okay. which would put, which would put him returning like closer to Christmas. Um, them saying he's going to start doing five on five. I know we've been burned before and we've been burned specifically on Jaron Jackson Jr. Not returning when we thought he would, but this just tracks with everything they've been saying. So to me, it sounds like, yeah, like I thought he might miss 15 games and it seems like he might miss 15 games. Maybe it stretches to 25 games, but uh, you know, it seems like a return sometime in November uh, is possible maybe late November. Um, and then we'll, we'll have Jaron for hopefully, you know, two thirds to three fourths of the Grizzlies games. How big of a concern in the interim is it defensively for the Grizzlies, not having him for those, let's say 15 to 25 games to start the year. Gigantic. Uh, abs absolutely huge. They, yeah, I mean, he really tied the room together. Uh, he blocked all the shots. He he was great. You know, his his versatility on defense, the way he moves, is what make is what makes him special. Like that combined with you know the three point stroke, which comes and goes, like that makes him the unicorn. But his, you know, all defensive team game last year uh, is what made this team one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. And without him, they're going to have a lot of trouble protecting the rim. In addition, the pieces they elected to let go. Not having Kyle Anderson, not having DeAnthony Melton, and not having Jaron Jackson Jr., those are guys who were, I have it somewhere, I think that's that's your first, second, and fifth in steals, and first, third, and, and fifth in blocks. And this team, the Grizzlies, led the NBA in steals last year and in blocks per game last year. So, like, that was their identity. Their identity was rebounding well, uh, getting steals and blocks, and getting out in transition and turning the, that transition opportunity into points. And that's why they had a top-five offense. It wasn't because their half-court was good. They were the first team on record, I believe, to have a top five offensive rating and, and, a, and a bottom 10 effective field goal percentage. Like they I were did not bad. know that. They were bad at shooting the basketball last year. I mean, that was that was the joke for me where it's like, man, what if the Grizzlies got their effective field goal percentage up to like average? Like they, they'd never lose. They, they, they'd right. never lose. And so, but the formula's changed. I have to admit, like the formula's changed because, you know, Kyle and Melton were a big part of that formula. Um, and then... With no Jaron there, 
suddenly I've been making the joke like, what's the fewest block shots you can get in a game as a, as a team? Like, there's, like Brandon might get one, Steven might get one. It's like they don't have guys. I, I honestly, I think Santi Aldama, he's a pretty solid help, help guy who um who plays full like his full six foot eleven frame. He uses all of it, so he might get some blocks. But like, they're gonna go from blocking shots, protecting the rim, being a big strength. To while Jaron is out, for me, it, it's a huge concern. I'm wondering how his absence impacts. Like they were so good at generating turnovers last year, and if you're not getting blocks, that could impact as well. But if you're also concerned about what's happening on the back line of the defense, or you're just playing people who are more inexperienced when you look at their options in the front court. Um, that was a huge element of their defense. You lose Melton. He's probably, he's a big part of that too. And that's also when you're forcing turnovers, you're getting out in transition. And this year for a team that can force turnovers, I imagine there would be more of a benefit because they're going to enforce the take foul, which should give you more free throw opportunities at that point. And so I'm wondering where, even if he wasn't like the direct cause of a ton of turnovers, and I actually think they forced more turnovers statistically when he's off the court, their second unit was just, annihilatory last season yeah um, i'm just wondering if there's an impact there at all and then you're almost worrying about like two different forms of i don't want to say drop off but reversion a little bit no i, I am worried and like because last year you mentioned the second unit you know the second unit of the last couple of seasons has featured tyus jones who's really good at steals um also really good not turning the basketball over so that helps your, your turnover margin has he ever it's, committed a turnover yeah, yeah it's it's featured tyus jones and d'anthony melton and kyle anderson and brandon clark and like those guys are all great at defense just awesome at defense and you know brandon clark and tyus jones are still there but the people they've replaced them with unproven and so we don't know if that form is going to be there and then you talk about like the perimeter defense you know like um they lost some of their good perimeter defenders and then not having the back line to help you. It's rough. The positive twist is Dylan Brooks is an excellent defender. He missed most of last year. Like, yeah, know, it's a great point. What his games played was, but it was like, he, he played fewer than half of the Grizzlies games and he's the best perimeter defender on the Grizzlies was last year as well. So like, yeah, Dylan's going to be there for more games that will help the defense, but still not having the rim protectors, I think could be a big issue. Not having the second unit, in my mind, it doesn't look as good. Not having that be a backbone of your regular season success it is going to mean the Grizzlies are going to have to find new new pathways to victories, I think. Jared Chase Jr. in offense last year saw his efficiency dip. I do think when you look inside the arc, a lot of it had more to do with like slightly more complicated usage when you look at him attacking on drives or mismatches. Is there any, like, some just one thing on offense, or is it the whole, like, that you're watching for him this season? Is it just, you know, the three-point volume is there, but the efficiency needs to come up? Is that just the biggest thing for him? Jaron's offensive journey has been bizarre. And his first two years, it was like, this guy's trending to be maybe a, a 18 to 20 point per game scorer. This guy has unique offensive gifts. Not only can he shoot, but he has sort of a handle and these weird long strides where he goes past guys. He can beat most bigs off the dribble and when we project him to be like oh is his eventual position his forever position will be center and and you know like once once he ages and fills out a little bit he'll be a center who can beat guys off the dribble and then the last two seasons like he played he was, he was healthy all of last year and the year before he you know he played like 200 minutes or something but mm -hmm. his three-point shot has always looked strange but it stopped going in and you're like oh his three-point shot isn't going in that would be great if it improved but also his like his steps got off as in like his, his gather step. He got confused about it and he looks more awkward out there. And you're like, you used to be able to go past guys, but now you're shooting off the wrong foot and you're doing weird floaters. What happened? And, and I don't, I don't have the answer where it, it seemed like not just 
not only did his three-point shot regress, his finishing in the paint and his ability to beat guys off the dribble, like it really fell apart. Like at the start, at the start of the bubble season or, or the start of the actual bubble, that's uh, Jaron's second year. He, I can't remember what he averaged, but he, he was a much more proficient scorer than the first couple of games before he got hurt. Like he was just, we were thinking, can this guy score 25 a game? Cause like, I don't see anyone who stops him because he, mm-hmm. he hits threes and then he beats guys off the dribble. And then that kind of, he really regressed the last couple of seasons. Um, last year though, all of a sudden he blossomed as the defender we all dreamed of. So it's been like either or it's been either or this is a, this is a, a talented offensive advantage we have in, in this strange big. And then last year it's like, Oh, he, he's our, he's our defensive backbone. He's an all NBA or all defensive team level defender in the argument for defensive player of the year. If he ever marries the two, you get back in the dreams that a lot of people had like year two, where it's like, why can't this guy be Chris Bosh? Why can't this guy be like a, a slightly different, maybe not hall of fame version of, of Kevin Garnett? Cause it was, it was right. similar stats. If you compared like Bosh and, and Garnett's first couple of years, you're like, if this guy could score 18 a game and be the defender, we think he can be, you know, he, he's an, he's an all-star, but for whatever reason, you know, we're now four years in and it's been, it's just been up and down on both sides. What? Does a year three step forward look like for Desmond Bain after a monster leap last season? Is it just like him handling more of the half court initiation? I can't even envision it because even after watching him in summer league in 2021, I didn't see last year coming. I saw how they were using him and I was like, oh, that probably won't translate to the regular season, but it absolutely positively did. Uh, what could year three of Desmond Bain be? Um, are you familiar with the works of a player named Clay Thompson? Are you familiar with the works of a player Ooh. named Reggie Miller? Are you familiar with Ray? No, uh, no, I think it's going to be great. Why do you sound short? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, no, I, I think he's going to be great. I think um, if you compare, if you look at what he did, um, he was an older rookie. He slipped in the draft, I guess, for concerns about his wingspan and his age, even though he's not like super old or anything. And then he, 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 he fully, blossomed last year and became one of the better shooting guards in the NBA. He was second in the three point percentage. Uh, he shot 90% from the line. He's also a plus defender. He's the perfect backcourt partner to John Moran. If he never gets any better, like if he never gets any better. It's like, okay, we now have like Eric Gordon or some, or something like, like healthy Eric Gordon, but I think he's going to get better. Cause again, like I was saying, most guys don't stop developing at 24 or, or after, right. after, after a couple of seasons. So I, I do think, yeah, um, he, he's going hand, to keep handling the ball more and more. We saw that really develop last year where he was able to, to, to handle a little bit of point guard, a little bit of playmaking. Um, I think he's going to score, be able to beat guys off the dribble. He's just learning more and more that I can shoot and score at all levels. Um, I think he's going to probably average at least – maybe not at least, but around 20 points per game. If he averages more than that, I'm not going to be shocked. Like if he becomes Michael red, I'm not going to be shocked. This guy is an unbelievable scorer who just seems to be like learning more and more like, Oh wait, I can do this. I can do this. And so as a plus defender and as that shooter, yeah, I I think, um, I think it's not unreasonable if the Grizzlies have the team success, the front office thinks they're going to have, if they surprise people a little bit again and find themselves as one of like the top four seeds, like I think Desmond Bain could be an all-star this season. I I would agree with you, and I wouldn't say that they need him to, but when you look at the roster and the half-court concerns that you laid out offensively, he seems like, the at least right now, the most important non-job player 
to like alleviating that. I don't trust Dylan Brooks's shot creation. And I just look at um, Desmond Bain last year and there are Eric Gordon was a really good comparison. Sometimes it looks like what if Kyle Lowry was taller and like, that's just a really good oh, player. Like that. yeah. That's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, like on offense. And so I think that he might be the single most important non-job player offensively for them because they do need like some more half court. oomph. I don't know if that's a spicy take or like a, a hot, like a cold take at this point. Well, but the, the, I think, I think, I think there's definitely a lot of truth in, in that opinion. I think, you know, it, the semantics of the of the term most important. I think I might go Dylan just because that's the variable. I don't think there's a variable with Desmond Bain. I think Desmond Bain is consistent. Like Desmond Bain is going to give me 19 points on incredible true shooting percentages. Um, but I do think Desmond Bain has to score. I was joking about this on on shows, you know, on my show and other shows last week. It's like, yeah, I think Desmond Bain's going to score a lot because he has to score a lot because <laughs> their entire bench is now like extremely low usage guys. And like, they're, there's basically saying, Hey, Conchar, we need you to shoot more. Um, you know, like I, I don't see it necessarily. So I think Bain is going to have all the opportunities to get all the shots he wants. And so, yeah, he's incredibly important to their success, but I might lean like if Dylan can make 34% of his threes again, that's maybe more important than, than, than Desmond Bain, as far as the Grizzlies team success and their offensive success. And also like the creating a shot thing. That that is this is a question I come to and I, I like I pose to, to Dylan critics where it's like if you're a Grizzlies fan and you watch all the Grizzlies games, outside of John Morant, if someone has to have the ball in their hands with five seconds left, five seconds left on the shot clock, like who are you going to? I think Dylan Brooks is better than Desmond Bain in that situation. Like whatever you think of Dylan Brooks' mid-range game. He can get there. He can get it off no matter what's happening. <laughs> and so it's like in those, in those like um, desperation, the, the shot clock or the game clock's running down and you have to get a shot. I think Dylan is probably your second best option. That's one of the problems, honestly. I mean, that, that is a problem with the Grizzlies half court offense is there aren't better shot creators. I hope uh, we get to the point where I feel like, you know what, Desmond Bain, he can create um, in that high pressure thing where I can't just wait for the perfect shot. Another thing with Dylan, I mean, with Desmond is, you know, maybe he does wait a little bit to, um, or, or he's not, he's too picky with his shot attempts. He shot this great percentage. He needs to attempt more three pointers for 36. So we need to get him up to those, whatever it is, 11 three pointers per 36 that like Clay Thompson does like eight or nine per 36. No, no, no. Des, we need you to fire. Like you got to shoot every single right. time. Um, take a lesson from Dylan. Don't be bashful. Just shoot. It's okay. Uh, if you miss, Steven will probably get it. Dylan Brooks's confidence is aspirational, so maybe that's a good way oh, to yeah. oh, play yeah. it out for, for Desmond Bain. Uh, what are you watching for most closely uh, in Zaire Williamson's? Uh, Z- Z- Zaire Williamson. That would be a heck of a player. Yeah. Zaire Williams' is second yes. year. Um, it, you know, there, there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot has been put on his plate. It's basically, he's the hope, it feels like, of all Grizzlies fans to you know, cover up the, the players that they, they got rid of. And he's the hope of, all right, this guy was the 10th pick. We hope he develops. He's got that perfect size, the perfect frame. Um, maybe one day he will be better than Dylan Brooks and he can be our starter. And our long-term team is Ja and Desmond and Zaire plus Brandon and Jaron. And that's like our dominant dynasty run of that. But it's, it's asking a lot of a guy who... In his rookie year, he showed some flashes. He start, he got off to kind of a slow start, um, and then he got hurt. He had health and safety protocols. When he came back, he was much improved. I think he, mm-hmm. he shot 34% from three over the final two-thirds of the season. He knocked down some threes in the postseason. What we're hoping from him is, I think, a more consistent defensive presence. 
uh, I would love to see him grab a rebound just every now and then, like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> we need help on, on the defensive glass. Um, and, and if he can raise his three point shooting to be closer, not just 34%, like I'm optimistic based on what I've seen in preseason and in summer league, that he could be more like a 37%, 38% three point shooter. Cause this team desperately needs shooting. They mm-hmm. desperately need three point shooting. Like just the, the flat out math of the NBA. It's a lot easier to win basketball games when you're making 12 or more three pointers per game. And the Grizzlies did not average 12 made three pointers per game. They won 56 games despite not making that many three pointers. But like I've laid out, I think the formula for, for winning is changing and they're not going to force as many turnovers. Um, and I'm worried about the defense not being as good. So they need to make up for that. I think with improved three point shooting, they've said Zach Kleiman has said our, our focus this offseason was adding shooting to the team. And, you know, whether or not they've done that is a huge question mark. But internally, you hope that Zaire's the guy that he can get up more threes and make him at a better percentage and hopefully fill that gap from some of the missing players and get them in, into that three-point volume and the three-point made volume uh, that I think is going to lead them to it just make games easier. It's just easier uh, to, you know, to win basketball games if you're making 12 or more. Like the Grizzlies had a terrible winning percentage last year when they made single digits, but also all NBA teams do. Like the right. winning percentage of teams making 10 or fewer three-pointers, it's like it's like 30% or less. Like I, I don't remember the exact stat, but it's, it's, it's poor. Uh, and so they, they need Zaire. If I could pick one thing, I think honestly it would just be, you know, increase that three-point percentage by, by 4%. And also let's kick that volume up those three points attempted. Uh, if we can improve that as well, that'd be awesome. They do seem to trust him a lot defensively too, based off some of the assignments he drew. And I wonder if that contributed to the rebounding absence with him, where he was just so laser focused on why am I defending this like star win? Like they were just so confident that he's going to be that guy. Yeah. I mean, he had the opportunity and you got to say like in the positives category for Zaire, I mean, the dude started 20 something games for, the team with the second best record in the NBA. Like, you know, he, he played in the postseason. He had moments guarding superstars in the postseason. He was guarding Anthony Edwards. He was guarding uh, Steph Curry at times. He's got the frame. He's got the height. He's got the perfect prototypical size. He's got the hair that takes him all the way up to seven feet when he lets the fro out. So all these things are good. Yeah, if he can, if he can improve, just like you assume he will. I mean, he, a rookie to second year, you assume he's going to get better on, on the defensive end. If he does, then you're like, hey, nice. We don't have this two-way wing that, that's really helping us win ballgames. Do you buy Santi Aldama as an impact player this year? Define impact. Like he, so when I go back and watch some of the preseason, but then some of the summer league, he's just every, like he's sort of just everywhere in the game where it's like, oh, he had more offensive rebounds than I thought he did. Oh, like look at him, like taking guys off the dribble and getting by them into the rib. Oh, he hit like threes on kickouts. Oh, did he just make this really wicked live dribble pass? I'm just like, I don't know whether to be smitten by him or not. And I'm just curious. I think they do, unless I'm wrong, they need him to play a fairly large role while Jaron Jackson Jr. is out. And so I'm just wondering if you buy what you've seen from him in summer league and and the preseason. I do. I I believe in Santi. And it's funny, his summer league in 2021, his summer league last summer, I remember being like, this is one of the worst basketball players I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) He shot something like 7%. And he, you know, they were like, oh, he just flew over from Spain. He hasn't practiced. I'm like, all right, but wow, uh, <laughs> that, that, that was rough. Um, and then you fast forward to this summer league and at Vegas, he was like second team all summer league and he's putting it together. He still makes these goofy mistakes. And I think this is one thing that I've noticed about, you know, us as basketball fans. We're like, 
a goofy mistake registers a lot more than just like a bad shot or a dribble off your foot or just being inefficient. And so like, this is also like people who criticize our guy, Kyle Anderson, Kyle Anderson's mistakes are loud because they're weird looking. You're like, wow, that guy just hit the side of the backboard on a three point. (laughs) And it took him him four seconds to shoot it. But like, it doesn't all mistakes are the same. If, if you, if you have a beautiful looking jump shot and and you're Dion waiters, well, guess what? Eh. You know, I'd rather have a guy making a lot of bad mistakes, like, or, or just very loud mistakes that you, that are memorable, but it's actually helping you win basketball games more. And I think Santiago Dama is going to help his team win basketball games. I, I think his year of development last year is going to pay huge dividends. And like, I think he's going to be a solid starter. And when Jaron returns, I think he's going to still be in the rotation. I don't see any reason why, you know, this guy can't be like fifth on the team in points per game. Like I think he might average more points per game than Zyra Williams or Brandon wow. Clark. Like I just think his points come easier. He gets those offensive rebounds. We're like, Oh yeah, he's just tall. And he got, he got the shot. He put it back in and like his three point shot looks great. Now, admittedly, none of them went in last year. Like literally, I think literally he made one non fourth quarter three pointer last year. Um, and it wasn't cause he was making clutch three pointers. It's cause he was making three pointers in garbage time. And so hopefully the regular season is not too big for him. The lights aren't too bright, but I think this guy is, is legit. Um, he, he's a unique guy where like, he looks comfortable a little bit with the ball in his hands. He looks just like he's more athletic than, than you assume. He honestly can catch lobs better than maybe anybody on the team, but, but Brandon Clark and Zaire, I think he might be a quicker jumper than Jared Jackson jr. Which is weird to think. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I believe in Santi, and I think he is going to be a, a positive contributor to this 10-man rotation, even when Jaron comes back. Two players I know even less about because I don't pay much attention to college basketball, and I don't really learn about rookies till they get to the NBA. David Roddy and Jake LaRavia, do you have any early impressions of their games, and who do you expect to play the bigger role, if any role, for the, for the Grizzlies this season? It looks like the opening night rotation is likely to feature LaRavia, uh, Jake LaRavia, when he's standing still, the, the, the three-pointer is beautiful. Um, so far, beyond that, it's not beautiful. He hasn't made them. He didn't make them at Summer League outside of one game. He hasn't made them in the preseason. He looks exactly like... Here's the thing. He looks exactly like old Mike Miller, as far as... Minus the tattoos. Uh, his He doesn't seem overly athletic. He looks a little bit slow out there. Um, but like, you know, you, you kind of get walks. It's like, it's like the way a, a LaCroix, you know, this is lime flavored. I, I, I can see what you're talking about. Like there, there is like a memory of a lime inside here. Uh, LaRavia is giving me a memory of old Mike Miller. I don't, I'm worried he's not ready at all. I think David Roddy is more ready, but just because of the draft priority and because of the size, a few inches taller uh for jake laravia that i think laravia gets first crack at being like 10th in the rotation on opening night but like you i also don't watch college basketball and you know i don't want to judge these guys too harshly based on just preseason and summer league because it's been it's been up and down and it's been a like um a little bit concerning when you think about this grizzlies team has title aspirations and if not title aspirations they have at the very least progressed further in the playoffs than they did last year and can Roddy and LaRavia get you there? Ah, I, I would bet no, um, but I, I know the front office, maybe they're, they're, again, doing a little flex, and they feel like come, come March, April, May, 
those guys are, are going to be ready to contribute. What's the over-under on the number of All-NBA teams that Kenny Lofton Jr. makes for his career? Man, uh, the Kenneth Lofton Jr. not playing more than one game in preseason is a mystery. He played one preseason game. He, he, he beat Serge Ibaka for an and one. He bully-balled Brooke Lopez under the basket for a layup. He scored 17 points on eight field goal attempts, and we were like, this guy can't be stopped. And then he didn't play in another preseason game. And like they're playing Vince Williams Jr. and Kennedy Chandler's playing constantly. Like, why can't we get Kenny Lofton back in? I don't know, man. I don't know what the ceiling is. I had Chris Harrington, um, you know, covers the Grizzlies. He was on Grits and Grinds uh, a couple days ago with me. And he was just like, if we had to do the draft over and I can only pick one guy out of this Grizzlies draft class, I'm picking Kenneth Lofton Jr. Like, I think wow. I would project him to have a better NBA career based on what I've seen than Roddy or LaRavia. And you know, I don't know if that's a hot take, but like we haven't seen Lofton be bad. And right. I, I mean, he committed a ton of fouls and a ton of turnovers in, uh, in summer league, but this is also a guy who like was hooping on Victor Wibanyama two years ago, you know, like, like for this team USA under 19 squad. And now for me, that's like the last time I saw him. And now fast forward two years and he's on my summer league team. He's on my preseason team and I see him play and I'm like, no one can stop this guy on offense. Uh, I want to see. I need proof of concept that it doesn't work. I need him to be embarrassed. I need him on opening night to be like totally embarrassed by like Isaiah Hartenstein and, and Julius Randle to be like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's not ready. Because like when he like folded up Brooke Lopez and put him in the locker in a preseason game, I'm like, whoa. Like the same thing he did to guys I didn't know their names in summer league. He did to NBA players I've heard of. Uh, NBA players who are known for being good defenders. Yeah, they're, they're you know, maybe Serge and Brooke are at the end of their careers, but it's still like, all right, I need Brooke to see him. Get, kind of a mountain to move. He's still like, a mountain, yeah. and the Bucks fans are optimistic that, oh, Brooke Lopez is back. We'll be better. We'll have a better regular season, which I buy into. I'm just saying, I want to see uh, Junior, who's just like Zebo microwave bench scorer. I need to see him get some burn, man, because I'm excited. Uh, so do you view the bench this season as being as strong as it was last season? No, I mean, I've already, already basically said that. Like, I don't, I don't see any way. I don't see the formula. I don't even see the, I don't even see the optimistic take for, for how you get there. I think if you're talking about the Grizzlies overall, the optimistic take for the Grizzlies being better, it is pretty simple. John Morant gets better in year four. Desmond Bain gets better in year three. Dylan Brooks is actually healthy. By the way, last year, the Grizzlies were incredible. Uh, when Desmond and Dylan played together, they were unbelievably good when Dylan and Jaron played together. Like, like there's a, there's a clear optimistic path for the Grizzlies, but it's their top line talent. It's the, it's their starters. Plus maybe Brandon Clark plus Tyus Jones, the backline talent. I, I can't formulate an argument that, that the six through 10, they're better. Like Tyus Jones had a career year last year. Mm. If you're being optimistic about the Grizzlies, you hope he plays less because that means John Rent's playing more. Dude. Like, I don't like Tyus Jones shot a career high in three point, attempts three point percentage. And like, you know, I don't think he can increase that. Cause I think he's going to play actually less, you know, Zaire. That's the one where you're like, all right, if, if you believe Zaire can make a huge leap in from year one to year two. Okay. Well then that's how we get there. But like Conchar, I don't think, I don't think a Conchar what, breakout's coming. What did you because, say about him? But when he signed, you were talking about, you call his like three pointers artisanal. No, no, I got, I, I got, I got upset that Chris Vernon said that, said that Conchar was a better three point shooter than D'Anthony Melton. And I was like, you can't take his, his single use artisanal handcrafted 
three point attempts, man. That guy shoots like two per game, like in 20 minutes. I'm like, yeah, uh, Conchar shot a better percentage uh, than D'Anthony Melton last year, but he there's no volume. It's it's these yeah individually numbered handcrafted attempts. And like, no, no, no the dude's got to put some shots up. And also, Conchar played a lot of minutes last year. He played mm-hmm. 77 games, played like 19 minutes a game. Like, are you? Pro- he's not gonna play more than that. Like, what are we projecting here? They don't play bench guys 24 minutes a game. So, like, I don't see how Conchar. I don't see how his three pointers go up enough to 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 accommodate for for the Melton threes you lost. I also don't see him being a better overall player than Melton and Kyle Anderson. And I don't see the rookies like we already like we already spelled out. I don't see them being those positive impact players. Like you know, what we get from Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark was great last year. We hope he's great again. Tyus Jones was great last year off the bench. But these are the, the same players. The guys you lost, replacing them with if it is Roddy or more Conchar minutes. I, I, I have a hard time imagining Zaire Williams' improvements on their own are going to compensate for what you lost. Yeah, and I guess maybe once Jaron Jackson Jr. is back and you nudge. Aldama to the bench. That All right. Okay. A little yeah, bit, yeah. but yeah, I mean, look, Hey, I'm team should have kept Kyle Anderson. So I'm with you. Well, there, but I if- mean like all, I think Aldama can have similar averages than, than like, uh, than like Kyle, when Kyle did, when Kyle started, like, I think even in a bench role, you can get like, you know, 10 points, five rebounds, one block from Santi. And maybe he's he'll also be a willing to take player. above the break threes. And so that's like a, he is. So he, so too. he is. And so like, maybe the spacing works better. Maybe, um, the, egalitarian nature of the Grizzlies second unit where they just spread the ball around. Maybe it'll flow a little bit better without Kyle there, but like you're, you're telling me Santa year two is going to be a better player than a proven NBA vet and Kyle Anderson. I, I have a hard time getting there. Desmond Bain did it. <laughs> Desmond Bain proved man, proved me wrong. I mean, if you'd given me an over under for like 18 points, I've been like, no, what are you kidding? I'd be nuts. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, Desmond Bain was incredible. And also any blind Grizzlies optimist who's like yelling at me that like, we're better, man. You got to trust the front office. Like if you throw the Desmond Bain argument, there's no comeback. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, like Desmond Bain <laughs> went from like, he can't get in over Grayson Allen, which most of Grizzlies fans we were losing our minds about. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, Desmond Bain is a fringe all-star from year one to year two. Okay. If Zaire Williams becomes a fringe all-star from year one to year two. Yeah. Yeah. Grizzlies are going to be awesome. There will be someone on YouTube who's angry that you call them an all-star instead of all NBA because that has I happened know. before. So. I know. I'm, oh, yeah. YouTube commenters, <laughs> man. So so much optimism. <laughs> so we know this team's like patented strengths, getting out in transition, putting pressure on the rim, hitting the glass. Um, do they have any underrated strengths that you don't think receive enough attention? I mean, if you throw in their strength being John Moran is awesome, um, no, I think we've covered the basis. The basis is, uh, like I, I, you know, any lost in break in, in case of emergency unremarked upon, you know, all right. So, so this might be one speaking to the blind optimism and the fact that the Grizzlies kind of keep outperforming what people expect of them, at least nationally, maybe there is, maybe there is a system here. Maybe we are a system team. Maybe we are the San Antonio Spurs of the, of the, the Ooh. Popovich, Duncan Ginobili dynasty where it didn't matter who played for the Spurs on a night to night basis. They won like, yeah, they, they needed Tim Duncan and, and Parker and Ginobili to win titles and the Grizzlies, you know, they don't have those guys yet. We, we hope we project in our dreams that Ja and Jaron and Desmond can get there. But in the regular season, it seemed like for 20 years, if, it was Matt Barner Bonner's night to start. It didn't matter. The Spurs won. They still won 75% of their games. And 
I think there is some hope. There's some dream that I have based on last year. We saw it. They were plug and play. John Moran mm-hmm. didn't play. We win. Dylan Brooks doesn't play. Oh, we still win. Jaron Jackson Jr. doesn't play. We still win. Like there's no, there's no discernible difference when guys play or not. The Grizzlies still are, are winning 65% of the games, 60% of their games. So part of me feels like this front office, this coaching staff, this organization ha- has found something. And it's possible that they, they're, they're like a system, I don't, for lack of a better term, they're a system team, they're plug and play, and they, they've unlocked something about the regular season. If it is just the pace, the forced turnovers, the offensive rebounding, something about their offensive and defensive system where they're not going to miss. You know, if you lose your seventh and eighth guys, you're not going to miss it because you're just going to, it's next man up. And they, they have proven for a couple of years now, like, yeah, two years ago, they weren't great, but like, it didn't matter who played. Uh, mm-hmm. honestly, uh, at least it seemed that way at times, um, that, you know, maybe th- this team, uh, has figured out something and, uh, they, they will have this success regardless of basically who suits up for them. That's a good point. Cause I call it in a, a developmental flex without even like kind of mentioning like what they've built over the years and whatever they've, they've hit the over three straight years, I think, or something like yeah, that. Comfortably. So, like, like not even just hit it. They've annihilated it. I mean, yeah, two. Jaws rookie year because I don't watch college, so I'm an ignorant just pundit being like, uh, "This is the worst team in the West comfortably," and everyone agreed. Like at like nationally, the Grizzlies were like, we're, "They're going to be fifteenth," and they would have made the playoffs if not for the league changing the rules midseason and instituting a, a play-in. <laughs> like they were comfortably the eighth seed, and then like they're like, "Hey, let's have an eight, let's have an eight game playoff," and uh, if you're within five games or whatever of the Grizzlies, you, you get to force them to a playoff. Because we're hoping Zion Williamson makes it. It turns out the it turns out the Trailblazers, uh, you know, like did it. So like they would have made the postseason, Jaws rookie year, and then his second year, people were like, "Whoa, man, that was kind of out of the blue." They're not going to make the playoffs. They did make the playoffs. They beat the Warriors in the play-in, and then last year they were like, "Oh man, they're taking a step back." Their organizational flex, getting rid of two starters and Grayson Allen and Jonas Valanciunas. They won fifty-six games. So like. They've obliterated every every preseason over under for the last three seasons, um, which is funny. Again, these are things that are thrown into my face because this is the first year I haven't been on board. Yeah, the rook, Josh rookie year, I, I wasn't on board, but like the last two years, I'm like, I like it. I think the Grizzlies are going to be good. I, I I'm I was on board for every move. I was on board for the Justice Winslow trade, which is the thing other people don't mention. Like that that didn't work out. It hasn't been all home runs for the front office, but like I've been on board with every move basically for the last three seasons. This this offseason is the, is the first one where I'm like, I have concerns. And then people are like, shut up. Shut up with your concerns. We're good. I'm like, we might be. You're probably right. Are they concerns or expectations? So you have to like, sort of. Well, I mean, I, you know, the YouTube commenters. I'm like, I think we I think we're going over. I think we're going to win 49, 50 games. And they're like, dude, that's fewer 60 than 60 games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is look at teams, what they'll be like at full strength and try and discern who will be like their top 10 most used guys. And when I went through the Grizzlies, it seems like they have nine locks. When Jaron's healthy, you have him, Morant, Brooks, Bain, Steven Adams, Tyus Jones, Zaire Williams, Brandon Clark. And then I have Aldama penciled in as a, uh, a lock. And so do you agree that those are the nine locks? And how would you flesh out like the, the last person or the last two if you don't think Santi's a lock? Yeah, your top your top eight is unassailable. Those are those are definitely the Grizzlies' top eight players. I, you know, arguing whether or not Conchar is or Aldama is locked in as your ninth guy. I think Aldama, but because of his positional uh, versatility, 
like he's going to start at the four, but most of his minutes last year, they felt more like a, a small forward. And he is a mm-hmm. guy that I think can be on the perimeter, like because of, you know, he, he moves. Okay. And because of that size, all right, he can guard three sometimes, but he, he likes standing on the perimeter just fine. Like that's not going to hurt the Grizzlies. So I think because of that, yeah, I, I would say right now it does feel like Aldama is the ninth man. And then that 10th guy is just going to be probably Conchar. But, I, you know, if I think the Grizzlies might hope that Roddy passes him in the rotation, but it does feel safest to say, I think Aldama is your ninth guy and, uh, and Conchar is, is the 10th guy when you're locking in this 10-man rotation. This is to some extent matchup dependent, and the Grizzlies clued us in last year on what they'll do. But if you're Taylor Jenkins, what's your go-to crunch time lineup this year? I mean, I am nuts for the Grizzlies. I, you know, for lack of a better term, it's overused. But like the Grizzlies death lineup, it's Ja, Desmond, Dylan, and then Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. And we didn't see hardly any of it last year because of injuries. It just it didn't play. In the, I think it was 13 possessions played in the regular season. And we finally got to see it in the postseason. And guess what? Yeah, it, it, it roasted people. I mean, it just killed it. Like it's 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 an, it's one of the best five man lineups um, you can make in the NBA. And I'm not I don't I'm not being I don't know. I'm not exaggerating. It's on par with like the best lineups, the, the Celtics and the Warriors and the Bucks. Like maybe those guys can put together better lineups. Maybe the Suns can put together better lineups. But like it's basically it's a great five-man unit that I was frustrated. It didn't get used even more. And, and the really frustrating thing was it seemed like the coaching staff recognized this was our best five-man unit because that's how they ended games. But they took their sweet time getting to that five-man rotation in the playoffs. Like they started Xavier Chilman some. They always started Steven Adams. And because of, you know, Jaron's foul trouble that we've talked about, like you're like, oh, Jaron's in foul trouble. We can't use our, our best lineup. Where it's like, well, you know, there's a, there's a solution to this. You could maybe play them all together when no one has any fouls, like at the start of the game. <laughs> like there's a solution to finding more minutes for your best five-man unit, but they never did it. And so um, that lineup, I can't, I don't have in front of me. They were, you know, like they played something like 80 possessions in the playoffs and their net rating was plus 35, which like, I'm not going to say it was a called shot, but I'm like, this is our best lineup. We're going to crush people with this. And then of course, I guess in the Warrior Series, it only got to play in the first game because of Dylan's suspension, because of Jaw getting hurt. It only played five minutes in the first game. So, like, we never even saw it against the Warriors. So, like, that is, I think, clearly the, the Grizzlies' best five-man unit. It's why I am optimistic about this Grizzlies team, despite my concerns of them losing my favorite players. Like, these five guys together are going to crush people. It's just how many minutes can we get? And, and can we optimize those minutes uh, and, and see that play a lot of minutes together in the regular season? They played 87 possessions in the postseason for a plus yeah. 35.6 net rating, which is high. And if you care about the 13 possessions, they had a 67.2 defensive rating during the regular season. That's clearly yeah. instructive. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 an ideal front court pair. Like like the Jaron and Brandon front court with with Dylan and Desmond guarding folks, people can't score on it. Like they, like it, it's I mean, I know offense beats defense. Good offense mm-hmm. beats good defense, but like it's elite defensively. And then you have John Moran and Desmond Payne and just like these guys, it works. It's good enough on offense. So like, yeah, I, I'm extremely optimistic. Like that's for me, that's this, that's this grizzly season. Like I'm like, Jerry needs to come back. Cause I want to watch those five guys play together as much as possible. Your Taylor Jenkins. Is there a weirdo bonkers quirky lineup that you're trying this season? Is this wait, am I actually Taylor Jenkins or am I Keith Paris coach of the Grizzlies? Cause those are very different answers. You're right. That's that's you're the first. This is the 29th look ahead that I've recorded, and no one's framed it like that. You're Keith Parrish, coaching the Grizzlies. 
All right. What is one bonkers lineup you're rolling out? Oh, wow. Well, now I don't have a good answer. Um, I'm uh, cover your ears, Grizzlies fans. Oh, How about here's the thing I want to see, I want to see, um, I want to see Dez with Dylan with Zaire with Jaron with Brandon. Ooh. So it's like Desmond Bain's your point guard. So John Morant's not on the court. Is that right? Is that is that bonkers? Listen, there was a moment where we thought the Grizzlies weren't going to re-sign Tyus Jones. I feel like like the kind of for a minute the mood shifted. Where where we we'd seen all these summer league games and stuff for like the year before, like, hey, we have no point guard. And then last year there were games where, you know, uh, John missed all those games. So when Tyus wasn't on the court, there were all these non-traditional point guard lineups. And by the way, just like most Grizzlies lineups last year, the Grizzlies smoked people. And it was like, hey, we have no point guard. Do we need to pay a backup point guard a lot of money? Let's just see what happens. Like, we're just like, maybe point guards are overrated. Let's let's have, and anyway, so like, um, so there was a time there where it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm starting to think maybe we could just, you know, like, uh, Dez and Dylan and, and Zaire, that's that's good enough. And then we have our best front court pairing and, and Brandon and Jaron. Um, I'm interested in that one. I mean, maybe that's too weirdo. I'm not like, I honestly, I don't have a weirdo lineup because maybe I could argue the thing I already told you for our best possible five man unit. That is the weirdo lineup. If it's only yeah. played a, a hundred possessions total together last year, maybe that can qualify as being my weirdo lineup. The weirdo lineup I do think um, Taylor Jenkins is going to try is uh, Tyus, Ja, Des, Dylan, Zaire. Whoa. No, That's no right up my alley. I never would have no expected bits. him to try that. Yeah. I think I my, my, my called shot is the Grizzlies are going to be – when's this coming out? Do you mind you, you, me telling you? Are you telling me when this is releasing? Is this uh, before opening night? It'll be before the Grizzlies play their, their opening night game, yes. All right, all right. So my, my called shot is the fourth quarter of the Grizzlies-Knicks on opening night. The Grizzlies are going to be down by eight, and it's going to be Tyus and Ja – with uh with 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 at least Dylan and uh and Dez like that, that's your one for one through four they didn't do that at all in the preseason I thought they would I thought they'd try these super small ball lineups I think they're gonna go super small ball and then maybe with like something weird like Santi at the five or something so I think we're gonna see a weird uh a weird very small lineup from the Grizzlies in the fourth quarter of the preseason hopefully by calling my shot uh the Grizzlies will win by 35 and I will be wrong uh, I faved that lineup. I mine was a big lineup, and I I'm yeah. mad that you had Desmond at point guard because I did too. I have Desmond Bain, uh, Zaire, Aldama, yeah. Jaron Jackson Jr., and Brandon Clark. Let's just go super big um, with Desmond Bain at the point. Oh, that's gonna work. Turns out. Well, that's that's part of it. Again, when we started dreaming of like, all right, they're moving on from Tyus Jones because uh, Zaire's gonna play all two this year. It's just gonna be a shooting guard. He's getting, we're like, because we're sizing up, we got to get bigger. And I was and I was in. I'm like, all right. I think that works. Let's try it. Let's let's try to get bigger. Of course, then no Jaron. Now everything is treated the other way, where it's like, oh, I guess right. we gotta play smaller now because we don't have enough players to uh, to fill our wing spots. You already alluded to this, but they're over under set at forty eight point five as we record this. You're taking the over or the under on that, man. So like a month ago, I would I would have like been like hard over. Maybe I've overanalyzed it, and now I'm like I'm like soft over, uh, a tiny over. They do get they get they get the full complement of games against the uh, the tankers. They get sixteen mm. games against the Thunder, Spurs, Jazz, and Rockets. And I am a little wary of the Rockets, especially earlier in the year. They might be kind of frisky, uh, not super fun to play. But I think my math is like, all right, what if we go thirteen and three against those tanking teams? We only have to go like 
what's that? 36 and 29 against everybody else. It's like, oh, we could do that. 36 and 29 seems easy. So yeah, I, I think 49, um, if I had to bet, I would, I would definitely take the Grizzlies over, um, even though it's not as confident as I once was. And the whole thing about the Grizzlies too, is like, they have sort of made a killing of just like, we're just going to beat the teams that we're supposed to beat. I think what they, they were 28 and eight against sub 500 teams last that, year. That feels right. Also like people still kind of discredit the Grizzlies, which I understand like no one at no time last year did, did I think even I think like the Grizzlies are the second best team, despite the fact that they were technically the second best team. Um, but like the, uh, the, the Grizzlies blew everyone out last year. They had they had the fourth most uh, 20 and 25 point wins in NBA history for a single season last year. And like, they just smokes teams. And like, again, like we said, oh, John Morant's out. Well, how about we beat this team by 40? John Morant's out. How about we beat the Thunder by 73? Like, they, they, they killed so many teams last year where I feel like this team might just know something about the regular season. Might right. just, they, they might just have this system in place where... They understand, hey, man, if you just play pretty solid D, push the pace, have a talented superstar guy, have perfect role players, have these fringe, I don't know if you want to call them, near all-stars or sub-all-stars and like Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr., you can beat teams. So, we, so like, I, I think the regular season, it's going to be all right. I think they're going to manage it fine. I think Jaron's coming back in, like, 15 games. And so, like, you're telling me, you know, they're going to be eight or nine games worse. I know the West is tougher, but I also think, Last year, there weren't four teams in the West who were actively trying to lose every game. That's true, you know? too. Um, like, the Lakers were trying to win, guys. They just could not win. Uh, <laughs> the Kings were, season, probably, the yeah. Kings were desperately trying to make the play-in. The Spurs weren't trying to win, and they were winning. So it's like, um, yeah, I, I, I do think there are regular season wins out there to be had. And so 48 and a half feels like, yeah, I'm I, again, not overwhelmingly confident, but I, I can't imagine taking the under, so. My my final question is scaling ahead to the playoffs. Are there any just specific teams that worry you the most in the West? And if the Grizzlies are actually in the thick again of like the upper echelon of the West, sh- I think the, the, the should they question is yes, they should they, but do you think they'd be willing to actually make a midseason move that skews more win now than developmental flex? Yeah. You gotta, you gotta think this is the year that they do make a midseason move to bring in something. I mean, there's some hope that like Danny Green will be healthy in April, and honestly, bringing in bringing in if Danny Green is healthy for the playoffs, if there was a way to know that for sure, suddenly that Melton trade, um, I become like, oh okay, that seems fine. Like Danny Green's a proven, I mean, he's Danny Green. He, he has like the, so much hit when he like goes. He has like the streaks. He's hit so many big time three pointers in his career, and he's still he's he might be like one of the. 10 best transition defensive guards like the league has ever seen. He's a great defensive guard. He's a great three and D player. And he has the like a 71% career winning percentage. Like he has, he has a better career winning percentage than bill Russell. So like, I know it's a fun stat just to cherry pick, but uh, yeah, no, I think Danny green is, he's a great player to have, but I do think it makes sense this year. Talking about those, no ties. Those no backup point guard lineups. Like Tyus Jones has a big old contract which can be used in salary matching purposes. Right. I would not be surprised at all if the Grizzlies make a trade during this regular season just to bring in something. Um, I mean, like, I want some of these guys who didn't sign extensions. Like, P.J. Washington would be a great fit on this Grizzlies team. Ooh. Not as like a... He's not like a... He's maybe not even your closing lineup, but 
he could be your eighth best player, and he's he's an upgrade, I think, over Jake Laravia, and he fits perfectly next to Jaron Jackson Jr. He fits perfectly next to Brandon Clark. You know, I was surprised the Hornets didn't get something done with him on extension. Um, maybe the Hornets would want to kick it the can further down the road for a, a rebuild if they decide you know they're what they're gonna suck so they we're might gonna be terrible yeah. maybe let's instead of paying pj washington let's just get a first round pick from the grizzlies and you know uh, so something like that I, I could see them also trading just for veteran help um for for guys on on aging players who aren't necessarily helping their their teams right now or if you have a weird Whatever it is, if, if Jalen Brown decides he wants out of Boston, if something goes sideways, you're prepared. You're prepared to trade the Danny Green salary plus the Tyus Jones salary for and future first round picks. You have you own all your first round picks. You also have uh, the Warriors 2024 pick in, in the bag. So like, it wouldn't be surprising at all if the Grizzlies make a move to bolster their roster as in a win now proposition this season. Which is another reason, like I I, I have a hard time imagining the under because if things go pretty bad, I think they still would be like, yeah, let's bring in, I don't know. So-and-so let's bring in. They might not even be first round picks. Let's bring in Josh Richardson and Wally Zerbiak. You know, Josh would be really good fit for this team. Actually. Yeah. Great fit for this team, especially if you've moved on from Tyus Jones. I like Tyus. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get him out the door. Then you, then you just have no backup point guard. It's the way the salaries, we got to match salaries. That's the only reason. But but if that's the move, you have no backup point guard after that. Like Tyus Jones is, it's just Desmond Bain. Well, Desmond Bain in, in this situation, Josh Richardson, he can dribble. You know, Zaire, uh, Zaire can dribble a little bit. We don't point guards are overrated. John doesn't even bring the ball. Point the, guard. That's the line. John doesn't even bring the ball to the, the, the court half the That's time. This is get rebounds yeah. and they just dribble. Get a rebound, dribble. Sante is actually pretty good at, at grabbing a rebound, just dribble up the court. I honestly think like Steven Adams and Jaron are the worst at it. Everyone else is like, get the rebound, you just go. Like, that's the job. That is the job assignment for the Grizzlies. You get a defensive rebound, you don't look for your point guard. This is not college basketball or high school basketball where, like, the point, the, the, the center chins the basketball and then hands it off to the point guard in the backcourt. No. You get that rebound. Your job as a Memphis Grizzly is to get it across half court. Just get it and go. And so I, I think, you know, maybe it devalues the traditional position of a point guard, but it does give you options if, uh, if a trade comes up and you feel like, you know, maybe you need to trade a, one of your backups. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you think needs to be touched upon before I let you go? No, man. I think we, did. we didn't mention the Brandon Clark extension. There's a lot to ask about with this team. I went over an hour. I apologize. I didn't want to take so much. Oh, no, you're fine. I mean, the Brandon Clark extension, it makes sense. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. bigs don't make that much. I, I, you know, relatively, you know, you can, you can lock in a guy who, again, is part of my preferred closing lineup, a guy who's a perfect fit with your, uh, near all-star front court guy in Jaron Jackson jr. And you can get him for, you know, 13 million, year on average yeah it seems like a no-brainer to not take that to free agency just go ahead and get that locked up you already locked up steven adams so you're probably weren't going to be a, a free agent player so yeah keep your good players i'm, I'm, I'm on board with it seemed like a, again kind of a kind of a no-brainer keith in case anyone skipped the intro you're able to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the fantastic work that you do yeah uh listen to fast break breakfast it's a nba podcast for serious nba fans it's a very much not serious uh listen to grits and grinds if you're a grizzlies fan we go hardcore on the stats and explaining why um it's hard to replace two three-pointers made per game just by increasing volume with the guys who were already there so you know that kind of thing that nitty-gritty uh you find that enjoyable uh check me out you can follow me on twitter at fast break break uh, I echo the strongest of endorsements for Keith. He's also, as someone who's had to do a lot of solo podcasts over the past few months, I know you've done them, and you do a fantastic job of like on the grits and grinds when those are when those have been solo. So 
thank you so much for coming thank you so much for coming on as you know by now i will be spamming your dms in the future sounds great uh dan always a pleasure